1: Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Patton. Jason, the Bulls are no longer streaking. I guess Benny the Bull has to finally put on some clothes. The Bulls, going for a 10th straight win on Sunday night, finally fall on the road to the Dallas Mavericks, One thirteen ninety nine. Uh, just sort of a game I think you can immediately throw in the garbage Jason Zach Levine pretty rough night seven of 21 from the field for only 20 points Nikola Vucevic one of his worst games of the year in my opinion 13 points only six boards when he had been basically grabbing like 15 boards a game over the nine game winning streak he shot six of 17 from the floor he was just like missing everything dude my uh, my comparison for Vucevic and Jason, you're a a physically strong man, so maybe you know this. Do you ever, like, work out, like, bench press, lift weights, and then try to play basketball the next day when you're really sore and you just have, like, no touch on the ball and you're just, like, missing by several feet? That was Vooch last night. Couldn't even come close to the rim. Uh, And the Bulls' defense gets totally torched by Maxi Kleber, who went 6-9 and from three. Very nice, 18 points. So uh, kind of a trash game, but, Jace... I mean the Bulls are still nine and one over their last 10. I am a fan of round numbers, so it would have been really dope to get the 10-game winning streak. Yeah. Uh, it didn't happen. Still mostly very good things to talk about around the team, but uh you had to expect them to lose at some point, and they caught one on the chin last night.
2: Yeah, I will say Dallas has been playing really well lately. They entered on it's a five-game winning they, Yeah, they entered on a five-game winning streak of their own. So they've won six in a row now. On the road, Sunday night game, Luka Doncic back. Luka did not start well, but uh, he did roast the Bulls' defense. He had a triple-double, 14 rebounds, 14 assists. Uh, You mentioned Maxie Kleber had a big game. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith hit four threes. Josh Green off the bench was a huge spark. Made some huge plays in the fourth quarter as the the Mavs ran away from the Bulls. Uh, Jalen Brunson is having a really, I think, the best season of his career – Torch the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls' defense was bad. The Bulls' offense was bad. It was just a bad game, and it happens. Like, the Bulls, yeah, I don't want to be, be, be doom and gloom, but the Bulls kind of had been trending lately, just not playing great. And Billy Donovan, I believe, had been bringing this up. He brought it up last night. They haven't been playing their best ball, but still winning games. You like We talked about, like, that Pacers game, that DeMar, it's the game winner. The, the, the first Wizards game where they were down most of the game, another DeMar game winner. Even the Wizards game on Friday night where the offense was awesome. They put up 130 points. Uh, Kobe and Iowa were awesome off the bench. The defense was not very good in that game. The defense, the defense has been trending pretty bad for a while now. Uh, I think we're really missing Alex Caruso, missing Javante Green, even just the energy that they bring. Uh, and we saw again last night the Mavs shot 50% from the field. Uh, I think they shot like 44 45% from three. Uh, the Mavs have not shot well from three this year. I think some of that has been... Uh, just kind of unlucky. because I mean, we know Luca creates so many open threes, and he was doing that yesterday. This time, they were just hitting them. So when, when Luca's creating those threes and the Mavs are hitting, uh, it is hard to stop them. And then when the offense, just when Zach, as you mentioned, brutal night is the, uh, uh, not the best shot selection for him either. Uh, There was a point where they were up 10 late in the first half, and it was kind of a weird start to the end. They, they go down 10 to 2, then they go on a big run. It's like, all right, Bulls in control. They were up 10 late in the first half. Uh, And then end the second quarter, going into the third, Zach's kind of just started into a fuck it, Chuck mode, and he was not making. And then Vooch was also missing badly, as you said. And those two kind of shot them out of the game, and the Mavs just kind of kept scoring and kept scoring. The Bulls hung around for a bit. They were only down four going into the fourth. Mavs hit like five or six threes in the fourth. Josh Green had some alley dunks. Uh, and the bulls kind of just weren't able to keep up. So, definitely a game where you I throw it away, no doom and gloom here. The, the Mavs are playing well in Dallas. They shot really well. The Bulls did not play well on either end. But the defense is something that I, that is something to note. Uh I know our guy Chris uh really had a really nice thread of like issues with the Bulls defense. Uh, I don't have it had like all memorized but our guy uh what is his Twitter account? Of uh, Bulls101 him and Laro Chris Amundsen.
1: KLA Hoops, I believe. Yeah,
2: something like that. Go check that out. He had just, I retweeted it as well. He had a good thread just about the bull struggles on defense, just the, especially when they're missing Crusoe and green, the the point of attack defense, again, getting killed on pick and rolls and then how like missing those guys hurts Vucevic because we saw him just like, like they really took advantage of Vuce yesterday. And a lot of people automatically point to Vuce and like, he had a bad game. I mean, I don't want to like really sugarcoat it too much but like a lot of times people freak out about like the drop defense and i believe the uh nbc sports chicago guys were going on that again and just like and it's easy to blame vooch for all the defensive struggles when they happen and sometimes it can look bad when he was he's slow not that most mobile guy so like it's easy when teams are spamming pick and rolls to blame him it's also on point of attack again when guy if you're not going over screens and not and not pressuring the ball enough and guys get into the lane so easily like that's And then if the rotations are late, like it's a, it's a team effort on defense. It's not just on Vucin. We've seen it slip for a bit. Uh, I feel like DeMar has gotten pretty lazy on defense lately. Uh, Zach, I think has slipped a little bit as well. Again, they're not going to be like dominant playing dominant defense all season. We had concerns about this defense all season. Uh, And I don't, so again, I don't want to say like, oh like this is who they are now. They're going to be awful. The rest of the year, they are missing some key guys. I think when they can lock in, they can but we've seen them hit a little bit of a lull here in the middle of the season on defense. And it's, it's going to be something to continue watching moving forward because we know when they got a rolling offensively, they can be great. They had an off game yesterday. The Mavs are actually one of the better defensive teams in the league as well. So offensively, not really worried. It is the defense. that has been kind of bringing up some concerns lately.
1: Yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned the absences of Caruso and even Javante because For their defensive scheme to work, I feel like you really need to sort of surround Vooch with these high energy, very active defenders that they do have when everyone's healthy. When everyone was healthy before Caruso went out of the lineup, they were a top 10 defense. And that was shocking to a lot of people. Even right now, they're number 13. And since the last, over the last 10 games, when they're nine and one, they're I think 23rd or 22nd.
2: Yeah. They have like best offense in the NBA uh, or right up there. But then the D the defense has been like bottom third,
1: but a lot of that has come
2: with Caruso out.
1: Right. Yeah. And now Javante. It, is I think. So yeah. uh I'm not horribly worried about the defense, but it is sort of funny that the bulls are just like more and more becoming the team. We thought they would <laughs> probably be in the preseason where we thought, Oh, this is gonna be a top five offense, uh, you know, in a best case scenario. And right now the offense is number six in the league. Yeah, right, uh, right there. Yeah, like absolutely right there. The defense falling a bit, but uh, you know, they haven't had some of their key pieces. So I think the defense is ultimately going to be okay. I'm a bit worried about DeRozan getting taken advantage of defensively in the playoffs. And what's going to be interesting is this next stretch for the Bulls is against a bunch of really good teams. Jason and I were talking before we started recording the podcast. Oh, well, there's only been two games since the last time we recorded an episode. That's because the Bulls had a big break between the Magic and the Wizards, and then they just played uh, Dallas. So that doesn't happen. They don't have consecutive days off until the All Star break now. And uh, after the day off on Monday night, which is when Jason and I are recording, Tuesday, you're home against the Pistons. Wednesday, you're home against Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving probably going to play in that game. So I just got an alert on my phone that James Harden is out with knee hypertension uh, for tonight's game. So maybe Harden won't be in the lineup for the Nets. Interesting. Then Friday, you got the Warriors game, which is an ESPN game. Both the Nets and Warriors games are uh, home games on ESPN. So those will be great tests. I mean, you could see Klay Thompson in that game. I know the Warriors are going to be on a back-to-back, so maybe they rest Clay. But, uh, you know, Nets, Warriors, two very good tests for the Bulls. Then you got at Boston, at Memphis, home against Cleveland, at Milwaukee. That's an absolutely killing stretch through January 21st. But I kind of think it's good for the Bulls. Like, let's see how they can measure up against some of these top teams. Uh, They do have a little bit of a cushion in the standings right now. They're still the number one seed. They got a game and a half lead over the net. So the Bulls are 26 and 11 right now. Nets 25 and 13, two game lead in the loss column. Uh, So I'm not like freaking out. Like the Bulls had won nine games in a row. That was totally incredible. You're due for a
2: loss. You're not going to win them all.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And there were like a lot of games in there that they could have lost. Like, quite frankly, I was at the magic game. We talked about this already, but like, they just, Played like shit. That game and they were <laughs> able to salvage a win, uh, and I want to see how they match up against some of these good teams, Jason. Because it's really weird for a divisional opponent. They still haven't played the Bucks yet. The Bucks are the team I've been saying all year on this podcast who I'm most worried about. I I really hope the Bucks are healthy for that matchup, like as healthy as they can be. And you get to see the Bulls against Giannis, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Bulls can match up against the Nets now too, because. Nets have had Kyrie in the two games, but the Bulls have, you know, thoroughly outplayed them uh, in those two games, or at least, you know, in the first one, we got hot in the fourth quarter, but uh, I'm excited for the stretch. It's, it's like a measuring stick stretch for the Bulls. I think the Bulls are absolutely legit. I do think the Bulls are probably within the realm of the title contender right now, but we're going to talk about it a little more later. I don't know if you want to transition to it now or in, in a few minutes, but I do think the Bulls still need another piece or two. So uh, it, it's going to be nice to see them against some other elite teams and uh, just see how they measure up to them.
2: Yeah, I kind of hope Harden plays. Uh, I would like to see them play all three guys against KD, Harden, and Kyrie together. Uh, I don't think Joe Harris is going to be back yet. He's been out for a while too, but uh, I hope all three guys play. I know that I know Harden being out probably uh, helps the Bulls win a game, but I'd li- yeah, I'd like to see them play these guys at full strength. Clay, the Clay thing will be interesting because they the. Warriors play the Bucks the night before. So, like two national TV games in a row, the Warriors will be playing. So, like, I'm curious which one they would pick. Like, I would guess they would go with the like playing against the defending champs, but he did has had, uh he did make history in the United Center. So maybe they'd want to play him at the United Center again to see what happens. I don't know. Like it'll be interesting to see how the Warriors do go that. I know he's there's no chance he plays both games. I'm assuming that he's not playing back to backs. Makes sense. That's usually what happens when these guys come off these big injuries. Uh but we'll see. Uh, I'm, I am going to that game against the Warriors on Friday night. Super excited. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, either way. I just like, I hope uh, if Clay doesn't play, I hope stuff's back. I hope Draymond's playing because I know Draymond has this calf issue as well, but it sounds like it's not too bad. I guess just aside of uh, watching, I watched a bit of, I know I was watching most of the bulls, but also watched some of Warriors calves. I uh, know it was just awesome to see Clay Thompson back on the court after two seasons off and, the, I mean, the fans just so appreciative of seeing him out there. The crowd was uh, super hype for his intros and like every time he touched the ball and scored. Uh, it was that was just really fun to watch. So, just an aside there about Clay. Be, I, I really hope he plays Friday, but I'm not kind of not counting on it right now. Uh, but Jason, yeah. be- before we get into more big picture stuff, yeah.
1: you published a piece on Kobe White. Oh, yeah. This past uh, week uh, that, I will uh, say,
2: uh, in terms of looking ahead real quick here, I think I saw Caruso was out Pistons game. Not sure about Nets game. So just looking ahead of that at that Nets game again. Uh yeah. Before yeah, before we talk about trades, anything like that, uh Kobe White, yeah, at bloggable. We just wrote about Kobe White's resurgent here, flipping the narrative on him. Uh we talked about we've talked about Kobe a lot here. Uh and I was at that Hawks game I mentioned, kind of just started he hit that rock bottom where they asked him to guard Trey Young. And that Hawks game in Atlanta, and he just gets absolutely roasted in the first quarter. Also was struggling offensively, and it's like this is rock bottom for Kobe White. Like he had had a nice game, I think, right before that against the Rockets, but like besides like a couple games, Kobe had been really bad, really struggling. That's when I tweeted, like, Oh man, it looks like Io was like just like better than Kobe at this point. Basically, since that bad first half, Kobe has been awesome. Uh and even even this Mavs game last night, he had a nice start to the game, was kind of quiet to close, but again. Uh, overall, he had a, it was a fine game, nothing special, but in general, like, I mean, he's been shooting the ball so much better. Uh, We've seen him driving and finishing. He's never been a great finisher and we've seen some really nice, nice drives and finishes. We've seen some, a little more playmaking juice out of him at times. He's still, I don't want to say, like, he's not good defensively. He's getting to be, I guess, less, less uh, less of a liability. Obviously, as we saw the bulls get, the defense has slipped, like, going playing Kobe more and play and not having Crusoe there. I think it's probably part of the reason the defense has slipped a little bit Because Crusoe was an elite all defensive team player. Kobe's just not very good. I would say he's at least trying more because I mean, last year Kobe, I feel like I, I don't have like stats in front of me, but I feel in terms of like dying on pick and rolls and like screens, like Kobe would just die on screens all the time. I think he's at least battling a bit more, making a bit more, a few more plays defensively. So just, um, with Kobe playing like this, like, is this the real Kobe White now? We've seen him have hot stretches before. How does this change? Like how we go into like trade deadline? And I think we've again, we have talked about this before. But I mean, if Kobe is going to be playing like this consistently and be like a legit sixth, seventh man playing like this, uh, he's got a role on the team as we know with the lack of bench scoring and back bench punch that they have. Uh, that him and IO playing together just like what against the Wizards was awesome. They played like a perfect game, they come they combined to miss like two shots out of. Like 14 or 15 attempts. Uh, and it's a nice little like yin and yang there with Kobe's the offensive threat. Io's a stud defender, except Io is also awesome defensively or off- offensively in that Wizards game. He even hitting a few more threes, Io's three-point shot continues to be pretty decent, even though the volume isn't high. So it's been, decent, the so it's been Dude, fun to see I those, those guys. Io's play money
1: and catch and shoot corner threes if he's open.
2: Yeah, like he he's been solid.
1: only takes wide open corner threes, but When he catches it in rhythm, I have so much confidence that he's going to can it. I think he hit two more yesterday. So, uh, you know, just good to see Io, uh, you know, still not regressing to the mean as a shooter. Like maybe he really has made meaningful improvement as a shooter when he's taking shots in his comfort
2: zone. Yeah, he's going to hit free throws better. He's been struggling a bit from there. But uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting, again, with the deadline a month away now, what they do with Kobe, if he has cemented himself as just a legit guy on this roster for this season moving forward. Uh, it'll be interesting again when Crusoe comes back, when Javante comes back, how they split. They, they have such a deep backcourt now with Io playing so well and with Kobe playing well. And when you get Crusoe back, I know Javante is more of a forward, but how those minutes get divvied up. I would assume like Troy Brown probably goes back out of the rotation mostly when Crusoe comes back. I'm sure I, Io's and Kobe's minutes will probably come down a little bit just naturally because there's only so many minutes to go around. But uh, it's in general, it's nice to see Kobe playing well. Like I have said before that I've been a little harsh on him just because there have been times where he can just look really bad. But he's been so good lately. And when he's really good, he's really fun. He's been instrumental. He was instrumental in that winning streak. Kind of saved the rest in a couple of those games when some of the stars weren't playing well. So good for Kobe White. Seems like a super good dude. Uh, And hopefully he can keep playing like this.
1: Yeah, dude. It just brings me joy to see Kobe (laughs) ball because, you know, you think about it and only Kobe and Zach remain as players (laughs) who were acquired by Garpacks. Every single other player on the roster is turned over. You add Patrick Williams to that. And those are the only guys who were here from last year at the start of last season. Uh, And Kobe was taken number seven overall, you know, last year, during Billy Donovan's first season, they tried to make him a full-time point guard. Kobe sort of struggled with that adjustment. Uh, There were some easy excuses for him too, though, mostly that he had never really handled that position full-time. You know, since he sort of rose up into being a guy who was going to make the NBA at the high school level, he was a big time scorer at North Carolina. He played point guard, but he wasn't exactly like a master facilitator. He was still just like sort of an all around dynamic guard. And, I really felt going into this season after the Bulls off-season acquisitions that Kobe was in a position to thrive. Now, this yep. is even before we knew that Ayodesumu was going to be an impact player, that Javante Green was going to give him any minutes. And the fact that both of those things have happened as well has just sort of made the need for a bench scorer more pronounced. I've been talking about the lack of bench scoring for the Bulls all year. Kobe's clearly that guy. And over the last 10 games... He's been fantastic. I got the numbers yep. up over the last 10, Bulls, nine and one over that stretch, of course. Kobe White, 16 points per game, 51% shooting from the field, 46% shooting from three, 81.5% shooting from the foul line. He's getting almost three and a half assists per game. Uh, you know, not a ton of turnovers, 1.3 turnovers per game. So I think generally Kobe's done really well. And the reason he has done well, it's it's you know, multi-fold, But the first one is that he's just healthy from the shoulder. Yeah. yeah, it was his left shoulder and he's a righty. But still, I feel like you could see him sort of like short arming everything when he first came back uh, before he caught COVID. And it just didn't look like he was shooting an easy ball uh when he first came back this season. I mean,
2: either way, I mean, you're when you're shooting. I mean, that just it's weird if that's your left shoulder is still very important, too, when you're even as a righty. Yeah. And like the one thing we know about Kobe is that he
1: does shoot a really easy ball from three point. I've mentioned it before, but I saw a list of the most three point makes for anyone 21 and younger in NBA history. And Kobe's like 10th on the list. Kobe doesn't even turn 22 years old until next month, basically like one five weeks from now, Kobe's going to be 22. And while like, you know, the, the position he's occupying, I do think like, Uh, you know, like the microwave bench score. It's not like the most difficult position to fill, but it's one that the Bulls really badly need right now. And I think Kobe's got some juice to potentially, you know, continue to grow more and more uh, as a player in terms of his all-around skill set. A couple things I like from Kobe. One, he's hitting, he he has his highest three-point percentage at right now. I think it's 38%. He's also taking his most threes per field goal attempts ever. The is three point rate. It's got his highest part, three yeah. point rate ever. And as you alluded to, he's finishing better than ever shots within three feet of the room. He's making 61% of those shots. And then incrementally incremental improvement on defense, I think has also been a big thing. Uh, Billy Donovan's praised him several times for his off ball defense. I think he's done a better job getting around screens, so I've really liked what I've seen from Kobe. And I think that there's a reason Arturis Karnashovas and Mark Eversley kept him around when they got rid of anyone else. I think that they saw that Kobe had talent and that if they put, uh, you know, like better pieces and less of a burden on him to just like be the guy who creates the advantage that Kobe could be a pretty valuable player in this league. And now this is his third year, Jason. So we'll end this with this, at least this little segment how much per year do you think kobe white's getting on his next contract because he's going to be extension eligible after this year i'm i have no inside information on this i would be sort of surprised if the bulls locked him up to an extension i would be, uh, yeah i would be too in an early extension just because that's you know just typically something that's difficult for a player and a team to agree on but I'm kind of thinking that Kobe's made himself a ton of money over these last 10 games as long as he can keep it up. If he keeps it up. Yeah. Just with his youth, his shooting, his height at six five, and his draft pedigree at number seven overall. I'm gonna say, Jace, Kobe White's next contract will start at, at least ten million dollars a year. And before this hot stretch. I mean, I, I had no idea where that number would be. So maybe I'm getting a little too optimistic uh, from Kobe's perspective in terms of cashing in, but dude, he was a top 10 pick. He's shooting the ball. Well, he's six, five as a guard. He's very young, you know, four years, $40 million. Potentially. I'm sure Kobe thinks he's worth more than that.
2: So I mean, we uh, just saw
1: throw it out there. What what do you think his next contract's going to start at? Or do you not feel comfortable estimating yet?
2: Uh, I mean, I was just going to say, we just saw how much did Lowry get for like 65? <laughs> I know Lowry's like skill sets. Lowry's a little more unique as a seven footer who can shoot threes, except this year. But can. here's the thing. Except like, this year you can't me, shoot threes.
1: <laughs> me and you and anyone who watched and knows and sucks. People <laughs> who like don't keep a super close eye on him can still talk themselves into and having potential. We know Markenden sucks, though. And that was a ridiculously <laughs> huge contract for him to get.
2: I don't want to say he sucks, but he's super average. Again, I was watching Warriors, Cavs, and I was just like, man, that I, that's the guy. That's the guy we got super frustrated with. He had like he took like six shots. Clay Thompson blocked him, uh, a, like a fadeaway jumper that he took. He got beat off the dribble several times. It's like God, Lowry, don't miss that. Anyways, like I mean, Lowry made a ton. So yeah, with Kobe, I mean, who was it? Andre. I think it was Andre Godala was talking recently about. Jordan Poole, and he's like, yeah, Jordan Poole is going to make like twenty million a year. Kobe has not been as good as Jordan Poole has been, but like, if Kobe can keep doing what he's doing, like he's basically kind of doing what Jordan Poole is doing. Maybe not yeah. as good defensively. Uh, Jordan, but Jordan Poole is just basically a gunner. He gets buckets for the Warriors, and Andre Iguodala is like those types of guys can get like twenty million uh, annually this time around. I'm not saying Kobe will. Kobe White's making is going to get twenty million as next deal, but. I mean if you're a good bunch player like that at this with the salary cap going up and I think it's supposed to go up, I mean just continue going up. You're looking at reserves getting like decent reserves getting 12 to 15 million a year. So I mean I what you're saying I think if he keeps it up uh and he's legit like 30 or high 30s 40% three point shooter and his uh scoring inside gets continues to get better, I mean that makes 12 to 15 million something like that yeah. sounds about right to I'm me maybe even being more. Yeah. I'm
1: probably being conservative saying 10 million a year
2: yeah. point is Kobe's made himself a lot of money over this. Track. I do agree with your point about, I would be surprised unless he just like really kills it the rest of the season. The bulls like go on a big run in the playoffs. Like I would probably be surprised if they do come to an agreement on an extension, uh, this off season, but which is, I mean, fine. He's reserved. He's not one of your top guys. Like I don't think you should be looking like again, unless he plays like a huge role on like a title team or like they go really far, uh, I don't think you necessarily have to like lock in Kobe White uh, just yet, uh, but it'll be definitely something to at least keep an eye on coming uh, as he gets done with his third year.
3: You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to the Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Um let's let's move. Let's let's shift to uh some trade talk. Um it was our last pod, you were not with us, I was with Mort. And we talked a lot about trades. We talked about a lot of Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes, Tory Craig, other guys, other names out there. Um, the Jeremy Grant stuff is, I think, something we when we talked about a little bit too. And when the last time we were together, him or Harrison Barnes, I wrote something about Patrick Williams at Forbes. Uh, and last week, I think that was after we did our pod, just about like how if you're going to make a big splash, splashy trade, like you're probably going to have to trade Patrick Williams. A lot of pushback on, from the fan base on Twitter about trading Patrick Williams. Uh, I personally think that I would be very open to it if you're trying to go all in this year. Uh, Patrick Williams update: at least I, I think he has. I there. I know there was an article. There was an update on him. He's been out on the court. I think he's been doing like a little work. I think he he's making some progress. I know when AK spoke last week, he said like that still open for a return. I think this initial timetable opened for a return. I still can't really like say that I can rely on Patrick Williams to give the Bulls anything of quality this season A guy, young guy who was hurt to hurt for training camp played five games, then out for whatever, however many months it'll be coming back and getting thrown into like a title playoff slash title run. Like I just would be shocked if Patrick Williams was able to come back and make kind of of impact, especially with the weird nature of his injury, which, which is why I think I'd be more comfortable trading him in an all in move for a Jeremy Grant or whoever the hell you want to talk about, I just saw today, our, uh on Bleacher Report, Eric Pinkus wrote something bringing up the Bulls as a possible Jeremy Grant suitor. I know at the Athletic uh, Shams with his like weekly notebook did not mention the Bulls as a suitor, but I feel like with trades, we've learned like the Busewich thing came out of nowhere. Like I don't know, like how well, the rumor stuff like you never know, like what's what's actually going on. AK has kind of operated in the shadows for a bunch of stuff, except for Lonzo Ball. Like the Derozan thing was kind of out there, but whatever. Either way. Jeremy Grant, popular name out there, Harrison Barnes, anybody else? Ricky, since you didn't, you weren't really part of our big discussion about this whole thing with me and Morton in our last pod, I'm going to just give you the floor because uh, I know yeah. you have some thoughts about going after Jeremy Grant or who, making, in general, just an all-in move.
1: Yeah, I don't need the floor. We can just have a discussion between Well, yeah, for
2: sure. I just board want board. to let you at least start. Uh, at least get your your initial just like opening statement here on this. So,
1: you know, I've been doing this column at bloggable.com. If anyone listens to the podcast and they don't read the website uh, called This Week in the Bulls. And my topic this past week was just like on appreciating how awesome of a year this is and living in the moment because you never know uh, how long the window is going to stay open, Jason. And, you know, for the Bulls to win nine games in a row, their longest winning streak in a decade, you really have to uh, to take it in and just realize, like, this team is really good. While it may look like, oh, you know, we're going to be set up for a while here to be an awesome team. You never know. couple examples off the top of my head. How about the 2018 Bears? Their first year under Matt and Aggie. We're going to talk Club a little dub. bit Bears at the end. Uh, Bears had, what'd they go, 12-4 and that year? They had most of the team under contract. They had a lot of young guys. Oh, we have the offensive nucleus of Mitch Trubisky, Tariq Cohen, Allen Robinson. Well, it all fell apart, right? Like, they had their chance that one year. The double dunk happens, and they suck. Uh, If you want a basketball example from this past year, how about the Atlanta Hawks? The Atlanta Hawks, if the playoffs started right now, would not be in the playoffs. They wouldn't even be in the play in tournament. Yeah. This is with Trey Young, like second in the league in scoring and, like, I don't know, top five in assists, I'm sure, too. They,
2: they have the number two offense, I think, in the NBA. They just have, like, a bottom five defense I and mean, they're embarrassingly bad defensively. And they've had a lot of absences. I mean, everyone's had absences, though. Like, they've, they're just awful defensively. Like, they're not competitive defensively. They've, I know they've missed DeAndre Hunter to injury. That's been tough, but like, uh, as good as Trey is offensively, like he's he's really bad defensively, and they just haven't been able to like pick it up around him. They just haven't found that that magic, and they they had a bad start last year too, like similarly bad, and they turned it on. Right. I don't know if you can really rely on that. They they come up in Ben Simmons trade rumors lately. They might, they're clearly looking for a shakeup because they have like a lot of nice players. I think they want to consolidate. Maybe that's Ben Simmons. Maybe that's something else. But yeah, it's a good. That's a perfect example. Point is, dude, this is the year. Like, I don't know what's going to happen next year. If you
1: told me right now that next year the Bulls would be a 500 team, I wouldn't say, you know, screw you, you're an idiot. Like, it could (laughs) certainly happen, right? We don't know if DeMar DeRozan is going to be able to do this again. We don't know if Vooch is going to, you know, see his production drop another level next year. Uh, You know, the field could be more competitive. For instance, Uh, Kyrie Irving could be playing home games. Ben Simmons could be somewhere. The Sixers could have another co-star next to Joel Embiid. COVID is part of this too. Like we don't really know how the variance that comes with the pandemic is going to affect the rosters in the playoffs. But I really think this is the year, Jace. Like there's no playing for next year, man. This is the season. You are one of the five or six or seven best teams in the NBA and the Bulls should try to win the championship this year. I really believe it. And if you look at, you know, the offensive and defensive efficiency, you look at the net rating, the Bulls have a lot of the markers of a team that historically competes for a championship. But I think if you look at how the roster is constructed, they still have a pretty big hole at the power forward spot. Like as of right now, Javante Green is probably starting those minutes still. Uh, with everyone healthy. Otherwise, you're starting Caruso, Caruso. you got DeRozan yep. at the four. When you think about the playoff matchups, who you're going to see, it's Giannis and dedecumpo it's Kevin Durant, it's, you know, Jimmy. those big forwards Triple. who just sort of dominate the league. Uh, and, you know, I was listening to the, the last episode of Dennis Podman, it, which is, uh, you know, uh, one of our favorite Bowls podcast with Kevin Farragut. He had the great Stefan Noah on uh, talking about some of this. And Stefan basically said, Yeah, well, uh, you know, you don't defend Giannis with one guy, you don't defend Kevin Durant with one guy. It's a team effort. You have Caruso, you have Lonzo, totally agree with that. But another point that I've been thinking about for a little while, and Kevin voiced it on the podcast, is that it's really hard to win a championship when you don't have one of the best players in the league. And while DeRozan's been awesome this year, uh, it's still a stretch to call him like a top five player in the league. He could potentially be having, you know, a top 10 season, but uh it's tough to just be like, Hey, DeMar DeRozan carry us to a championship. The same way Kawhi Leonard carried the Raptors to a championship. The same way LeBron carried the Lakers to a championship. The same way Giannis carried the bucks to a championship. So the best way around that is just to get as many top 50, top 60, top 70, top 80 guys as possible. And power forward is the one spot where they still don't really have one of those guys. So, I'm all in this year on the idea of leveraging your best trade assets and trying to get another top 60, top 70 player Uh, specifically. I think what you're looking for is probably someone who's at least six, eight, someone who ideally could slide over to small ball center minutes, which means you probably need a wingspan over seven foot, seven one someone who could rebound, someone who can still stretch the floor and while he doesn't check all of those boxes because he's a bad rebounder, <laughs> uh, I really think the guy is Jeremy Grant. And I fully understand it's risky. I really like Patrick Williams, too. I think Patrick Williams long term is a super enticing prospect. But I would be willing to part with Patrick Williams. And the guys I would be looking at are Jeremy Grant, uh Haskell Siakam, and there, there's one more that's slipping my mind right now who we always talk about, too. Oh, Harrison Barnes. Barnes. So those, those would be the three guys I would be looking at. I think Grant is the one that probably makes the most sense. He's also probably the risky. Yeah, I was, I
2: was going to say the most gettable. I mean, all, tons of rumors right now around Jeremy yeah. Grant. I mean, the Pistons are awful. They're not going anywhere. Uh, they almost certainly
3: traded.
1: it's a risk I'd be willing to take, Jason, because these opportunities, the one the Bulls have in front of them this year, Shit, man, it only comes around so often. And to say, well, you know, Patrick Williams, he could be pretty good by the time he's 25. He's not going to be 25 for five years. <laughs> by then, who knows what the rest of the roster looks like? You know, DeRozan, Vucevic, those guys could be I mean, he's not 25. 25. Let's let
2: I mean, let's give him a little more credit and be like 20. Say he's like, could he be as good as Jeremy Grant when he's 23? I mean, maybe in like the next that two be, or three seasons.
1: like That'd be a great outcome for right,
2: him. Right, exactly. Like he was...
1: He was as good as Jeremy Grant by 23. That would really be a great outcome for him. Now, uh, I think that people have seen Jeremy Grant since he's gone to the Pistons, and they see a guy who's sort of an inefficient volume scorer. And they think, oh, you know, Jeremy Grant kind of operates in similar areas to DeRozan. Uh, Jeremy Grant could mess up the team chemistry. Jeremy Grant could be someone who, uh, you know, just like isn't going to be like it could potentially even be like subtraction by addition, right? Like he could kind of like mess up the good vibes the Bulls got going. And I understand that. I think it's possible, but I think it's worth the risk to add a guy who is, you know, top 60, 70 player in the league and someone who checks a lot of the specific boxes the team needs. Jeremy Grant, six foot nine, seven foot three wingspan, very good shooter, typically over 35% for most of his career. Typically, money on catch and shoot threes. Defensively, so this is sort of where the argument comes in, right? The part of the reason I think Grant would be such a good addition is because I think he could draw the primary assignment on Giannis on Katie. No one stops, them. dude. Yeah. No one stops those guys. I mean, Giannis literally just ran through DeAndre <laughs> Ayton, yeah. who's bigger and stronger. And you know, still pretty. Is he bold. stronger?
2: The Giannis is a, is a monster. <laughs> yeah. Giannis honestly might be big. Well, no, I'm Giannis saying like he's like seven big, foot. Dude, I'm saying he's bigger and
1: stronger than Grant. Oh, yeah, okay.
2: I don't know if he's stronger than Giannis. Giannis is
1: no, like, no, no one's stronger than yeah. Giannis. Giannis is the incredible. Hulk. Okay, yeah. But after doing some deep dives on the film, I think Jeremy Grant uh, can be pretty can be pretty solid. At in least
2: semi disruptive. That's like what you were asking for. Is just disrupt. You just Don't want to have those guys be able to, like, again, you're definitely not going to stop them, but at least disrupt and make it difficult on them and, like, not have to, like, be sending doubles at them all the time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Grant's statistical markers are pretty
1: impressive. A block rate over 3%, a steal rate over 1.5%. So I think that's encouraging. And if the Bulls were to get Jeremy Grant, obviously he's averaging, like, 23 points a game now. He couldn't be that guy. But if you remember, when Jeremy Grant went from the Nuggets to the Pistons, the Nuggets offered him the same contract the Pistons did. I believe it was three years, $60 million, $20 million a year. That's what Zach Levine is currently making. That's what he signed on his second deal. And Jeremy Grant on the Nuggets only averaged 12 points a game. And he did the same thing on the Thunder. And Jeremy Grant decided, I want to bet on myself. I want to see how good I can become as the primary option on a team that doesn't have a superstar like Nikola Jokic, where everything with the Nuggets is always going to fit around Jokic. And some people might like tisk tisk grant for that decision. I think it was a great decision. Like, why not, dude? You're 27 years old. Uh, like, do you think that he makes the Olympic team if he doesn't go to the Pistons and put up those big points per game? Now, obviously, he didn't play on the Olympic team at all, but he still got a gold medal from that. He's still someone who, like, I think he did raise his profile just by becoming more of a volume scorer from going to the Pistons. So if the Bulls were to acquire Jeremy Grant, they would need him to Buy dial him. back the volume scoring and raise the role player instincts that made him the type of guy who you wanted to give $20 million a year to, even though he was only scoring 12 points a game. If you remember Jeremy Grant on the Thunder and on the Nuggets, he was a very, very good role player who defended LeBron well in the bubble, hit his catch and shoot threes, and wasn't someone who was like uh, basically a ball home which you could say potentially he's been in Detroit for a bad team. Now, why would Jeremy Grant decide after he already made this decision that he wanted to branch out? Why would he decide to go back to being a role player? Well, for one, the Pistons have like seven wins this year. They're (laughs) fucking brutal. Jeremy Grant's getting his shit rocked every single game. and Well, he is out right
2: now. He is he's, he's right. out for, for he's got, weeks. He got like a
1: thumb injury right now. Yeah,
2: surgery. And he'll be. I'm not sure when exactly he'll be back, but sometime relatively soon, I think. Yeah. So the Pistons
1: are losing constantly, and what's really appealing about Grant from my position is that the Bulls organization has so many connections to him. Yeah. Mark Eversley, when he went to Philadelphia, Jeremy Grant was there. Grant ends up going to OKC head coach, Billy Donovan. And that's sort of when he became a guy who was like, all right, now Jeremy Grant's a guy. Jeremy Grant is like a really high end role player. Uh, then he goes to Denver has the breakout bubble. Who's there in Denver. It's Arturus karnashovas So uh, with all those connections, I think that the bulls would have a good chance of getting Jeremy Grant to buy in. He was also on the Olympic team with Zach Levine. He's also the brother of bulls legend, Jerry, <laughs> Jer- uh, and Grant. And the son of Horace Grant's twin brother, Harvey. So there's like all these connections with Jeremy Grant. And I just feel like if anyone could get him to buy into the role, it's Billy and it's AK. And the there's a version of Jeremy Grant where if he were to fully like buy in to what the team needs and assimilate into the team structure – Uh, That player could be really, really good for the Bulls and help them quite a bit. I think someone who could be a long seven foot three wingspan, long, active, energetic defender who can stretch the floor. Uh, He's never been a good rebounder. And that does worry me about him Like sort of sliding over to the five. I would love the Bulls to have another small ball option at the five, but he does have the physical dimensions to do it. And not a lot of guys have those physical dimensions. Like he's as long as Giannis. Giannis is a seven, three wingspan. So does Jeremy Grant. At least that was the last measurement on Giannis. He might've grown since then. Obviously no one shuts down Giannis. I don't expect if the bulls were to acquire Jeremy Grant for them to shut down Giannis, but I think he would be a significant upgrade over what they currently have starting in that spot I still love Javante green. I think you still want Javante green playing 15 minutes a night, but just having the ability to throw someone with Jeremy Grant's length and scoring touch, I think would be huge. And then if you want to look like into the future, as maybe Vooch starts to slip a little bit more, maybe DeRozan, you know, he's not going to be doing this every single year, probably maybe Grant does take on more of the scoring load, right? More of the scoring burden.
2: Yeah, he's right, right in his prime. He has one, He has next year on his contract still. So, like, it's not like he's an expiring. So, you got at least next year. Uh, and then, I mean, maybe you do keep him around. Because, again, he's in his prime. So, it's not like this dude's like an I know Barnes is a little, like, three years, maybe two or three years older. So, like, right in the middle of his prime, he's got another year left. So, it's not like it's just. I mean, we're talking about going on all, the, all in this year. It's not like it would just be this year, though. You'd have a a really good player again for next year then so it's not like you're just throwing away patrick williams for an expiring like just a just a one-year shot for sure like you never know what could happen in the future because i think that's that is just one of the big concerns i know about making this type of deal for like not a like i think a lot of people think they hear patrick, trade patrick williams i mean a lot of people just don't want to trade patrick williams in general which i mean whatever i know fans get attached to their young players uh,
1: Patrick Williams was, could be really good. I really like Patrick Williams, yeah. So I understand the hesitation from the fan base. Patrick Williams could be very good. Currently right now he's yet to prove.
2: He could be really good. good and game. like, I, yeah. And I don't want to be like, like negative, the super negative about him, but he could be really good. And I would like, he has like the tools, the potential for sure. He could also turn into Lowry market and just be, end up being just, just a guy. I, I'd say that's going to happen, but we've seen, I mean, how we've, we sat here watching the bulls pick high year after year. Uh, and go no there with this young core because nobody else nobody really turned into a guy that they that they could really rely on to be a stud player on a good team. And now all these guys are gone. So like as much as we like want to say like Patrick Williams is definitely gonna be a stud. He's definitely gonna be better than Jeremy Grant in a year or two. Like and another argument just like, well, you know, the Bulls don't need that much from a guy like Jeremy Grant or from Pat. So like in that role, like they're totally fine. It's like I think you have to remember. Just like how much different playoff ball is also from regular season basketball. Like, I mean, maybe Patrick Williams like comes back this year and shocks everybody and like plays pretty well and develops like that. But like, I can't rely on that right now. Like in a, in a playoff series, when teams hammer your weaknesses and like, I mean, Patrick Williams would probably not get guarded, right. Patrick Williams would not get guarded at all. If he's on the court in playoff games, like he has to prove that he's willing to make shots that he's can, that he's willing to take shots, make shots, take advantage of that kind of stuff. And even in like, while his defense, like he has made some nice plays, like, are you really throwing out Patrick Williams as like your primary defender against these superstar players when you're trying to make a title run? Like, I don't really think so. Uh, He's not that good yet. So like uh, just in a playoff series, when like the stakes are so high and when teams just hammer those scouting reports, hammer weaknesses, like having a much, much better player, a proven player, a guy with that kind of high level experience, in Jeremy Grant is, I mean, just, I think a massive upgrade over Patrick Williams for this year and probably next year, uh, which is why I'd be comfortable doing it again. I know a lot of people are not, and I know people are worried like about trading away a guy who could be part of your long-term future and and him turning into a guy who like becomes an all-star. These are the debates and decisions you make when you're in your contender, you see, you see teams give up guys with potential all the time for win now, for win now moves it's nice for the, the bulls are in this kind of spot now to have this kind of debate Because like, if they don't pitch if they don't trade for Jeremy Grant, they don't make like a big move. For Patrick Williams. Like, I'm not going to be upset. Like it'll be like kind of a bummer, but like, I got I, I don't, I don't want to like push Patrick Williams out the door for anybody. Like it's gotta be for somebody really good. So like, if they don't trade him, I will, I will have be fine with the front office doing that. Uh, hopefully if they don't trade Patrick Williams, they'd make some other type of move. Uh, is a smaller move to help upgrade the roster with, to help upgrade the spots that we know that they have issues with. So uh, it, yeah, it's a, I, a very interesting debate to have. I think you got to make a big move. <laughs> I think this
1: is the year, man. Like we don't know what's, what's going to happen next year. The The field could look totally different. And I really feel like the bulls have an opportunity this year. And, you know, if you're not going to have a true hall of fame level talent on the team, the best thing you can do is sort of model yourself after the Oh four Pistons, who by the way had a hall of famer and, ben <laughs> and a bunch of other like totally amazing players on that team, <laughs> but just to try to get five all-stars right And Jeremy Grant, hasn't been an all-star neither is Lonzo ball, but both of them, I feel like are sort of on the border. Cusp of being yeah. Grant
2: was like borderline last year. I feel yeah. like he got a door really I think he fell off a bit as the year went on. Like when he also like voting was happening, he was at least like a fringe, like player all-star player last year.
1: So basically what it comes down to is do you think you can get buy-in from Grant to accept being a guy who, you know, went from 12 points a game to 23 points a game back down to 12 points a game because the Bulls would need him to be yeah. the player. He was the last time he was coached by Billy Donovan on the thunder. The last time he was under Arturis karnashovas on the Nuggets. I believe that the Nuggets swung that trade while karnashovas was still there. And if, that didn't happen. I'm sure Carneshevich did a lot of like background research, yeah. legwork on acquiring Grant when they got him. Uh, so that would be the question. And then it's like, you know, how much? How much do you trust Grant's defense against some of the biggest players in the league, biggest stars in the league? And of course, like we've been saying, you're not going to slow those guys down. But I mean, he's six nine with a seven foot three wingspan. He's strong. He's wiry. He's athletic. Uh, I've pulled some clips of Grant defending Giannis that are really impressive. It's not going to happen every time, but uh, I think it can happen enough where it can give you a, a puncher's chance. And the more I think about it, the more I believe that the Bulls got to go for it this year. This is the year. We don't know what the future holds, even though it certainly feels like the Bulls are set up to be a well-run organization that should contend into the future. Uh, we don't know you know, when their opportunity to win at a high level is going to present itself again the way it has this year. So. If it's me, I love you, Patrick Williams. I think that you're a tremendous talent. I think that it's very possible Patrick Williams could end up being a better player than Jeremy Grant at his peak, but just in terms of the Bulls timeline, Grant matches better. I think Grant checks the specific boxes they need, and I think the Bulls have the relationships, the personal relationships with Jeremy Grant to get him to be the best version of himself. So, I want Jeremy Grant, man. Do it. Stamp it. I'll meet you at Grant Park for the championship <laughs> rally. And
2: I, I. Yeah, I mean, it's just perfect. I just. Like, I, just the, the I don't Grant see last I mean. name. Yeah. <laughs> Grant. Bring Jeremy Grant. And Jeremy Grant brings the Bulls to Grant Park. There it is. It's perfect.
1: <laughs> Give me the goggles. Give me number 54. Uncle Horace in the front row. Uh, Him and MJ can be getting into a war of words when they inevitably play the Hornets in a 1-8 first round matchup. I love everything about this, dude. Uh I want it. It's risky. I acknowledge the risk, but I think it's always risk risky. Is when you it. And dude, like, like they're already like basically all in the bulls. Yeah. are. Like, I was talking to my buddy, Zach, and he's like, well, you know, the bulls who's anti Jeremy Grant. And I, I totally understand all the people who are like, we're not, we don't want to trade Pat for Jeremy Grant. And part of Zach's argument was this is how a healthy organization goes, right? You have your veteran stars and you have young guys to develop. You have Kobe, you have Io, you have Pat. And I get all that, but the team's already very good without Patrick Williams. The team would possibly be worse in the present right now. Their record may be worse if Patrick Williams was like, you know, playing big minutes every single game and still starting because he's 20 years old. He's a very green player. I think Pat's going to be awesome long term, but we know the Pistons loved Patrick Williams in the draft. Right. Like as someone who covers the draft, no one considered Patrick Williams, a top 10 pick until the buzz was, well, the Pistons are going to take Patrick Williams at number seven overall. That was the first time I was like, oh my God, Patrick Williams is going to be the biggest riser of the draft. Two days later, the Bulls take him at number four overall. So part of me wonders, Jason, here's my wild conspiracy theory. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to let you off. man. Karnaschovas, going from Denver, probably knew that Grant, possibly knew, let's say, that Grant, you know, wanted a bigger opportunity where he could score more. So maybe he knew that, you know, the Nuggets possibly weren't going to be able to resign him, even though he was going to have the same money. And maybe Karnaschovas knew that the Pistons loved Patrick Williams. He he heard through the grapevine that jeremy grant was going to eventually end up on the pistons and maybe this is 4d chess he took williams took patrick williams because he thought you know i have this grand vision in my head for what the bulls could look like in the final piece of this puzzle would be jeremy grant and the guy we could trade for him and how we can get him is by trading patrick williams uh I don't know, man. It's like everything else for the Bulls has fallen into place. They traded two first-round picks, including a top-ten pick, to get Nikola Vucevic. Everyone panned him for the DeRozan deal. They gave up another first-round pick. They gave up a contract that everyone said was way too high for DeMar DeRozan. Uh, they're about to sign Zach Levine to a $200 million fat extension. Pay the bill, Jerry. You cheap jerk. You better pay it. And I think they just have a hole. For one, for they need a little bit more beef inside. So I think the Bulls need two things. I think they need Jeremy Grant or Pascal Siakam or Harrison Barnes. And then they need a backup center who can catch the ball, and pass the ball, because Tony Bradley can't really do that. There should be backup centers available on the market. Steph brought up Cody Zeller on the last Dennis Podman episode. Kevin brought up. Robin Lopez, I think either of those guys would be cheap and gettable and then I want Siakam
2: who's probably not going to Siakam's get not going anywhere. The, the Raptors Fred, are on fire
1: lately. Yeah, they're like even yeah. Fred Van, Van
2: Vleet are destroying these days and Scotty Barnes. But, are but killing that's them. the type of guy you want.
1: Yeah. Siakam, a Barnes, a Grant. Barnes would give you more offensively and before I started really digging into uh their histories, I preferred Barnes over Grant. Now after I dug into it, I'm on Grant. I want Grant over Barnes. So uh, I think Grant offers you more defensive potential and he's less of a clean fit offensively, but Grant has been a pretty damn good catch and shoot threat throughout the last few years. Yeah. When he's been like a role guy. I want Jeremy Grant, dude, give me Jeremy Grant. And I think that I think it's worth it. It's risky, but it's worth
2: it. The King situation with Barnes is weird. Who knows what the fuck they're doing. They're awful. And they lost to the blazers yesterday by like 15 blazers. Didn't have Dame or CJ. And I think Norman Powell might have, I mean, they're, they're, but the, that, the race for that 10 spot is so bad in the West. Like the Kings are, are right there. So like, I wonder if they're going to think that, oh yeah, we can get this number 10 spot in the play in and, and this playoff drought uh, that they like keep Barnes. It was Barnes has been c- pretty quiet lately. I don't know if he's just like mailing it in. I feel like that whole team is just mailing it in. I feel like they should be better than they are. It's just, just kind of weird. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. Siakam, I think that's a pipe dream. I, I think that'd be like the ultimate ideal for what they could get for that for that four spot. Uh, but he's been playing really well lately. Like I said, him and Fred Van Vliet, I mean, Fred Van Vliet probably going to be an all-star this year. And he's hitting ridiculous shots all over the place. He's been really good. And the Raptors are kind of running up the standings. So Grant does seem like just like all things considered does seem like the natural that with the Pistons liking Patrick Williams with, with the connections there with what the bulls need. It does just kind of seem like, uh, the choice there. We'll see what happens. There will be other teams interested, and we'll see what other teams can put on the table. uh It will definitely be something to watch. Again, we're exactly one month out of the trade deadline right now, so it should be a very fun month ahead. We'll see. I guess depending on how the Bulls, if how they manage this upcoming tough tough stretch, like I, like I'm assuming that the, the Bulls would not be trading for Jeremy Grant. Like right now, he still is out. He's hurt. I think they would. That's probably something that would go down to the wire, perhaps. Pistons will get teams bidding against each other and all that stuff. So you see what the bulls do over the next month. Like if they do stumble a lot, like maybe that would pull, cause them to push, pull back on Patrick Williams. But if they're still right there, they win some of these games against these contenders. And they're still like at, or right at the top of the East. That's I think just push the all in button, push that big red button. Let's go all in. Um, anything else here on the bulls? Or should we let end this with a little bearish chatter? Yeah, let's let's end it with the Bears. You, you
1: got right. anything before I start ranting again? How you feeling, Jason, about the Bears? So they fire head coach Matt Nagy. To my surprise, to my pleasant surprise, they fire Ryan Pace. But Ted Phillips remains uh, in sort of like a shadowy, is he football operations? What is Business he? Business ops. And then you got yeah. George McCaskey, who is going to be letting Bill Poley in the legendary former Colts executive who thought Lamar Jackson should play wide receiver. They are letting him choose the bears next GM. Uh, Jace, how you feeling as a bears fan right
2: now? Yeah. So the naggy thing was obviously he was getting fired. It had been telegraphed for a long time. So he got fired. It was so funny because then after that, there were reports coming across my, across my Twitter that said, Oh, it looks like Ryan Pace is going to stay in some capacity, whether it's as a GM or some other role. And I tweeted about that. I was like, oh, this organization, organization sucks. This is brutal, like loser shit, whatever. Literally like a minute later, Shefter tweeted that Ryan Pace was fired too. So I was like, all right, great day in Bear, with the Bears. Clean house, fresh start. It's what they needed. Ryan Pace did some nice things. The, I think the Khalil Mack trade was a great move. I know it hasn't really worked out lately, but you go go all in on that defense, and they were awesome for the one year. And Mack went healthy, is still pretty good. Uh, that trade was great. But he just he fucked up the most important position on the field multiple times. The Mike Glennon thing alone, fireable offense. The Trubisky trade, awful. Uh, and just like so many other issues there with the, te- with the team building. He needed to go too. So they get that right. A lot of Bears fans happy. And then George McCaskey did a one-hour Zoom call with the media today. And just all the goodwill went out the window. Started very strange by like excoriating high school kids for the guy going after. uh like Nagy's kid which was i mean whatever not the not a great move but like whatever they're high school kids they're gonna do dumb shit he also like tied in at the same time like jeff dickerson's the late great jeff dickerson's son it was just a very bizarre start like to his press conference the script that he had there uh the bill Polian and stuff he's a legend he's also like 80 years old and hasn't worked in the nfl for like 10 years and he had the, he's had some really bad takes they had the bad lamar one there's some other bad ones it's just like i wish and Other guy like Olin Cruz, and I'll get to Olin in a bit here, like had good things to say. I think Patrick Manley had good things to say about Polian. He is a legend in the NFL. It just feels like I wish that there were someone like else, like younger, like a, just a younger voice, more maybe forward thinking to help lead the search. We'll see. Uh, George McCassie kept bringing up Bill Polian's book, which I will not be reading. Uh, <laughs> Shouted that out multiple times. The Olin Cruz stuff was ridiculous. Calling out Olin Krutz, calling him a liar for the story that Olin Krutz like was offered like a fifteen hour, fifteen dollar an hour like job to help the old line. Brutal, weird answers about Justin Fields being the face of the fr- or being the quarterback of the future. So just like an hour of just super weird. I would like to credit the Chicago and the Bears media for pushing him on a lot of things, just about accountability, about his job, and like why fa- any fan should like have any faith in him when he like admits he's a fan himself and doesn't know anything about football when they still have Ted Phillips doing these, like being part of this, like why is Ted Phillips there uh, answering questions about the bears? Like, uh, like a- they asked him about the Arlington Heights stuff, which I love the idea of moving to Arlington Heights, not just because I live basically right next to Arlington Heights. Now, Like, I think it's a great idea. No brainer, whatever. Have Ted Phillips do his own thing and ask him about Arlington Heights later. He should not be any anywhere around this, around the football operation stuff, but he's going to be a part of this group. Uh, including a few other people, Bill Polian and George McCaskey, a few other people that are, are gonna go into hiring the GM, uh, and just like why, please get him away. So just like after like the good vibes, and again, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy seem like good dudes. I hate sometimes hate to be like uh, celebrating somebody's firing, but just for for Bears football, it needed to happen. So like it went from just being like all right, being kind of excited about the Bears future to be like this is the same old bullshit. George McCaskey doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and Ted Phillips is still there, even though he's like, kind of not there. It's still, still there. George still clearly trusts him a ton. He even said in the press conference. So it's just like, at this point you just got to like throw your hands up, just hope they get lucky with this GM hire. Hope they hire a good coach who can develop Justin Fields and that Justin Fields turns into a complete stud and they somehow end up being good because we've just seen so much bad bears football for so long at quarterback all over the place. And just like this press conference with George McCaskey did not help anything today. And just kind of a buzzkill after just like the, the high of thinking about cleaning house and getting new people in there. The press
1: conference was horrible. Bringing Jeff Dickerson's son into it is the most unbelievable, senseless bullshit you could <laughs> possibly say. And it's just like truly fucking disgusting on a human level that George McCaskey who is the son of uh, someone who is the daughter of someone who founded the bears. Like George McCaskey is a complete fucking idiot. He's never <laughs> earned a single thing in his life. He's a rich kid who had all this shit handed down to him. With that being said, dude, I'm very happy. Ryan Pace got chickened. I did not expect Ryan Pace to get shit canned, And you can make an argument for why Ryan Pace potentially could have, could have stayed around.
2: I don't know. Uh, he, really he did some
1: good things, as you mentioned, I would say if you were dicing it up, it was probably like, if I'm being charitable to Pace, it was probably like 40% good, 60% bad. What bothered me about Pace is I thought his process was just dog shit. And so while the results would sometimes work out, the process was so consistently bad year over year over year that it ended up leaving a bunch of holes in the team. The, you know, there was a, there's a thought process to the draft that this is, a, especially in the NFL when it's seven rounds, that all this is a crap shoot. What you should do is like trade down, accumulate picks, give yourself more bites at the apple. Ryan Pace was the other way. Ryan Pace is like, I'm getting my guy. I'm finding my guy. I'm trading up. I'm getting that guy. And too many times that blew up in his face. It left the bears with too few draft picks and that turned into holes on the roster uh, I mean, like the Mitch started, trade,
2: the Mitch trade was brutal. Like even Mitch aside, like they moved up one spot and then they picked the wrong guy. Like, I mean, it would but just, there's so many more.
1: There's so yeah. many more from that too. And then like, you could look at all the bad first round picks. How about like Anthony Miller is a second round pick. How about he did, Adam? Did you draft Kevin White? which is unlucky, Uh, but Evan White was his first pick. I'm not even going to like crush him for that one, but Adam Shaheen, like, dude, these are top 60 picks who are out of the league like four years after you take him. What are you doing? Ryan Pace. So I felt like Ryan Pace's big issue is that he had no humility. He was always like, I know who I want. I'm getting my guy. I'm trading up for Anthony Miller. I'm trading up for Mitch Trubisky. Well, when you do that and those guys consistently bust, then you're left with fewer picks holes all over the team uh i gotta say though like all their bears fans are losing their minds today and rightfully so i mean the bears are a, a fucking pox of <laughs> Chicago. like being a bears fan is one of the worst things about my life i'm just gonna say that i've been a bears fan since y- yesterday's game the 90- was like the- i was born in 87 the 95 season when they selected rashaan salam out of colorado former heisman trophy winner uh in pothead <laughs> Drum love Rashan salama Fumbled nine times his rookie year despite rushing for, I think, 1,200 yards. This is all off the top of my head. I, guess I, I can't locker. believe you have that. <laughs> I had a locker in my childhood bedroom that said Ricky 31. I picked 31 because <laughs> it was Rashan Salam's number. Uh, with all that being said, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic. than i think most bears fans are just because pace got fucking fired and that (laughs) rocks and i keep coming back to the old saying jason even a broken clock is right twice a day the bears for as horribly run as they are from the top down it's not like the owners are like interfering in terms of like what the general manager and shit is not like
2: jerry jones who's basically running the team himself
1: exactly So if they magically hire the right person and that person can hire a good coach, it's possible. It works out. And I really did not think Ryan Pace was going to get chicken and he did. And that's awesome because keeping him around and firing Nagy would have been like, it's bizarre. No, no reason. So unsatisfying and unfulfilling. And then it would have just been like, all right, how many more years do we have to wait until Pace gets fired? So, uh, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic and maybe Bill Polian can just somehow get lucky and hire a good GM. And, I don't know. I'm just excited they fired Pace and Nagy had to get fired. And I also think it's pretty funny. George McCaskey is tisk-tisking high school players, chanting fire Nagy when he literally fired Nagy. (laughs) They were chanting that, by the way, at George. They weren't chanting it at Nagy. It's not like Nagy was going to fire himself. They were like, hey, George, fire Nagy, you big idiot. Fire him. You should have fired him last year. And what does George do? He fires Nagy. So why is he getting so upset? He is just so such like a fail son idiot.
2: I mean, I, it was that like whatever Nagy's kids game. So it was cares? probably it was probably who a little overwhelmed. But it's high it's high school kids. They're gonna do shit, like whatever. It's very, very debatable And if
1: that even <laughs> crosses the line. And it's like a handful <laughs> of people in one north suburb. So to be Fair. talking about that and to equate it with a child who lost both his parents to cancer over the course of a couple of years. Yeah, I mean bizarre. How yeah. fucking stupid can you be, George McCaskey? He should get fired for that comment. I'm serious. <laughs> well, uh, well the, Bears, the board is not going to fire him. <laughs> I don't care about the crudes thing either. People are, like, blowing that up into a big deal. I don't care. Who cares? Oh, I think, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's funny and stupid. Ultimately, it does not matter. Stupid. It's yeah. funny and stupid, but it doesn't matter.
2: No. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I even tweeted this, like, after, like, the press conference, like, a lot of people make a big deal, especially on, like, sports radio, uh, just about, like, winning, losing press conferences, like, the Bears lost his press conference, but like ultimately, that doesn't fucking matter at all. Like it it makes it makes for great sound bites, makes for us great chatter to rant and rave about this stuff. But obviously, like whatever, George McAskey's a dope. He can have these awful press conferences. The Bears look like a laughing stock if they hire actually do hire the right people. Like you said, whatever these stupid ass pre- press conferences don't matter. I mean, the same thing that happened with with, with the Bulls and with Garpacks with Jim Boyle. And once those idiots got out, the Reinsdorf's hired somebody good. And AK doesn't even do, pres- rarely talks to the media, and he never says anything, and it's totally fine uh, because he makes the good moves. So if you actually hire somebody who can who's smart, makes good moves, sounding like an idiot in your press conferences, do- doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of actually doing that. I understand why people are worried about them hiring the right person because they was cons- consistently sound like fucking idiots in their press conferences. So hopefully this will not be a sign of bad things to come. Hopefully Justin Fields works out. Uh and I guess if hopefully if Ryan if Ryan Pace's parting gift we're talking about him trading up was Justin Field trading up to get Justin Fields which I will say I think that was the obvious move once Fields fell like that everyone was saying the Bears needed to trade up to get Justin Fields so like even if Fields is bad I'm not going to put that one on Pace uh I would put it on the rest of the and him just not being as good and maybe the team for not developing him but uh if anything hopefully Ryan Pace's parting gift for the bears is Justin Fields turning into a stud. So hopefully that does happen because fields can be good to watch. And that's that let's wrap it up here. We've been going for a while. We just had to get a little bears talk in there. Uh, Ricky, you good? No more, nothing else from you. You're good. Absolutely. All right. We're going to wrap it up here. We got a busy bulls week coming up again. We right now we were recording Monday night. We got bulls pistons at home. on. Is that at home? Bulls pistons is at home tomorrow, right? Is that the UC? I don't even know what well, either way. Bulls pistons. Tuesday it's a game you should win home or on the road Wednesday Bulls Nets national TV game at home except it's at nine fucking o'clock because of national TV really annoying for the home game to be at 9 p.m central time day off and you got Warriors you got uh, Celtics that's gonna be a tough doubleheader even though the Celtics aren't playing our back-to-back Celtics aren't playing well but back-to-back with all these games mixing them. That's going to be a tough game in Boston after playing the Warriors the night before. So interesting games coming up for the Bulls. Hopefully they can get, uh, start a new winning streak here, uh, and we'll see what happens. So as always here from Cast Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. If you like what we're doing here at Cash, please go check out all the other great pods, NBA and otherwise, all across the Blue Wire Network. For us here at Cash, please rate and review us. Give us those five-star ratings wherever you, you get your podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Please give us those ratings, reviews. Let us know how we're doing. That helps us out. Uh, You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore J. Ricky is at SBN underscore Ricky. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up. Uh, uh, Let us know how we can do better. We're always down to talk Bulls, especially with trade season coming up. Always down to talk about trades and how the Bulls are doing. And then, as always, shout out to Fuzzgun, creator of our uh, intro this season for cash considerations. Check out a SoundCloud uh, at Fuzzgun. So for us here at Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast, Jason Ricky, We will talk to you guys next time. We'll probably do a pod later in the week after that. Nets game. Take it easy, guys. This is last year's Bulls. It's
0: not last year's Bulls, ladies.